I'm Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. Why is it important to dive into this world of listening as it relates to creativity? Well, I believe there are lots of good reasons. Number one, listening plugs you into life, into the here and now. Listening to the ambient sounds of the world around us, whether those are human or animal or machine, really our senses become heightened and we can't help but exist in the present moment. There's no other option. Number two, Listening is the ultimate rapport builder. It's the fastest way to strengthen any personal or professional relationship. When someone feels truly listened to, they start to open up and connect and allow you into their world. I believe that deeply listening to others is the single most valuable action we can take to improve ourselves, our communities, and by extension, our world. Number three, attentive listening changes the quality of the conversation. And of course, we know there's a difference between hearing someone and really listening to someone. When we pair verbal cues such as summarizing and paraphrasing what was said for clarification with nonverbal cues like leaning forward and nodding our head in agreement, we show the speaker that we are attentive and ultimately that we care. Number four, active listening allows us to differentiate ourselves in teams. When you become a better listener in a world that can't stop talking, others will take notice. I can assure you that the volume and the quantity of speaking is not causally related with the quality of the ideas generated. Focus on listening in a team environment and I can guarantee you that you will pick up on things that others miss, which may be just the key you need to solving whatever problem that your team has set out to fix. Number five. Listening helps us better communicate, which helps us grow, which helps us innovate. When we take in new information through listening to others, we ourselves become better communicators. We learn to pick up on the specific nuanced emotions that lie under someone's words. This helps us communicate better with others, ultimately helping us grow, which can enable new insights and spark innovation. Number six. It's a skill we use every day, but rarely focus on improving. There are a lot of self-help books and books about communication in the world. Goodness knows that I probably own half of them. But I see an unbalanced offering, the scales tipped in favor of improving our outputs versus how to improve our inputs or our listening. After all, listening is half the equation, and some would actually argue that it's two-thirds of the equation. I mean, we have one mouth and two ears, after all. Number seven, attention is the currency of the future. Time is our most valuable thing here on Earth, and we are inundated with mountains of text-based and video-based and audio-based information on a daily basis. 
We pay for services like social media through our time and our attention. I mean, their monetization structure only works if people's eyeballs are locked on their screens. So giving someone your full attention and listening to what they have to say, I think is one of the most valuable gifts that we can give. And number eight, there are an overwhelmingly high number of upsides to improving our listening skills and very, very few downsides. And even if there wasn't this laundry list of reasons why listening matters, we have very little to lose by improving our listening skills and a whole lot to potentially gain. In today's episode, you'll hear from Katie Mason, who is the senior producer of CBC Morning Live, the morning show on CBC News Network. She's been in that role for three years, and she's led her team through multiple historic events, such as a pandemic, three federal elections, the death of a monarch, two Olympic Games, and a war. Katie's been waking up dark and early for the morning show for eight years, but has also had the opportunity to work with other online and social media teams, the Breaking News Desk, and The National. Katie is also a very important friend to me. We were attached at the hip throughout middle school, and she was the maid of honor at my wedding. But Katie is also a fierce news maven whose work as a senior producer on CBC Morning Live has led to award nominations two years in a row. So, who is Katie Mason in a nutshell? Katie Mason in a nutshell. She is, speaking in third person, uh, she is a television news producer, um, a news junkie, a proud nerd, (laughs) all things superhero, and uh, also a history buff. So I would say she is slightly obsessed with all kinds of storytelling and storytelling devices. So give me a book, give me a movie, give me a TV show, give me a news program. I am here for um, stories and people and voices and all of that. You have always loved stories and I love that about you. So I want to know specifically about your role as a TV morning show producer. And I would imagine that listening takes on different meanings in different contexts or times of the day. So what I mean by this is that you have to listen to your team and collaborate to put together a brand new show every day, but also from the standpoint of acting almost as a filter and listening to the world uh, and and the world events and kind of distilling it down for the public. So what, can you make sense of all of that for us? Yes, Uh, okay. So yes, I am a, I'm a TV news producer, but I work on a morning show. And so there is something unique about that because a lot of the material that you get happens overnight or maybe happens late at night. And so you have to be able to listen to those stories and pick out the points that are going to move forward the next day. So you need to have a good ear for what are going to be the big storylines when people are waking up and you're sort of pulling those pieces from stuff that's happening in the middle of the night in some cases or pretty late in the evening before. Um, I do also lead a team. So as you say, that is really important. And a big part of 
um, I would say any newsroom is building a strong team, but also encouraging people to speak out and have conversations about what stories they're listening to, especially in a morning show, um, in a morning news program. A lot of the, the stories that end up being the big talkers or the ones that people pull away from a newscast are actually the ones that we're all talking about in the newsroom too. So you kind of have the major headlines that might be obvious to lots of people as of right now, like the Ukraine-Russia war, that's pretty obviously going to be a big headline every day for the next little while. But it's the, you know, everybody's talking online about the movie review for this turning red Disney flick that's coming out. And maybe that pops up in a conversation. Did you see this? Oh my God, can you believe this person said that? And the backlash to it. And all of a sudden that turns into a bigger story because we're talking about it too. And if all of us are talking about it, then that's probably what regular Canadians are talking about too. So there's lots of aspects um, of, of listening when you're putting together a show. Um, in terms of a team leader, you have to listen to people in a very different way. That can be very interesting also. Um, I work in an industry that is basically built around rolling deadlines and we do four hours of back-to-back -back shows and so uh, there is a lot of adrenaline there is a lot of stress there is a lot of last minute um, content that gets added and a lot of people wear that stress differently and they uh, adapt to those pieces differently so being able to hear people and sort of register when things are too much or when they can take on more um, and sort of learning those like visual but also audio cues I used to have a teammate where you could tell by the pitch of her voice how stressed she was and so just being like oh that's a little too high like I gotta leave you alone um, those are those are different aspects of listening that I've found working in my job. Yeah. So you, you brought up a number of great points there and two of which I want to circle back to. So one is the idea that there are the main headlines, but then there's also this kind of conversation that may be going on in your newsroom, but also conversation that's happening more broadly in, in society, whether that's through Twitter or through different different means, right? So there, there's all these conversations that are happening. And that just kind of reminds me of, so my favorite, one of my favorite storytelling platforms is Humans of New York. And the idea that there's these everyday stories, there's the big headlines, of course, that everyone is talking about, but the things that matter most to us are kind of the, the smaller day-to-day -day, um, pieces. So it's interesting that your team can pick up on that and that you can pick up on that and listen for not only the things that are being shouted at you and in the world, but also those things that are almost being whispered and, and kind of trying to, um, to pull out that information. Mm -hmm. Well, even like a big headline story, that's often what's really important too. Like I will circle back to, to Russia and Ukraine because that's what's happening in the world right now. But if you think about it, there's lots of different layers of the story and things that you have to listen for. So obviously you have the world leaders, you've got Justin Trudeau touring Europe right now, you have Zelensky and Putin who are all putting out their own messaging, but part of listening to what those messages are is knowing that both of those world leaders are putting out different information and that there's a motivation behind it. Mm. So you need to be able to listen 
to each side and sort of understand what they're trying to get out of those messages that they're putting across. But also in terms of regular Canadians, a war over there can feel really distant. So how do you bring it home and how do you make people care? And that's sort of the next level down. So you've got the politicians and you've got the geopolitical situation and why all of that happened in the history, which is interesting, but it is really the people's story that makes you connect to it and makes you see just sort of, you know, exactly what's happening on the ground. So even when you're listening to the voices that are coming into the newsroom, you've got the policymakers, and then you have maybe the soldiers on the ground who are telling you what it's like to be fighting in those conditions or, you know, um, that they're stranded or that they're doing this. But then you also have the people who are fleeing from the country and what those are like. But then it's also really important. And this is a big conversation that we've had around the newsroom too, is to not get too narrow in your focus. And I find that that's also a big listening piece. And so um, being able to respond to the way that other communities are talking about this story. So a big conversation that we had was around this sort of open door policy that the government has implemented for Ukrainian refugees and how that is a very different approach than we have seen for refugees of other war-torn countries, things like Syria, things like Yemen. Um, you know, there were a lot of countries that were in need around the Arab Spring, but there wasn't that same sort of policy when those people were fleeing those places. So what are those people saying about this story now and that approach? And so it, you start to see the layers come together and the different sort of branches of the story, but that's all from listening to these different communities and these different sort of voices that come together in the story. It's so interesting to me. And I think I, I, I know listeners can't see this, but you met, you had kind of a circle and then literally kind of these branches coming off is, is what you kind of mimed there. So how do you do that? How do you take something that has so many different lenses, so many different, a, a multitude of layers to it or these branches, and how do you listen to all of that and then distill it down into something that makes sense for a Canadian audience? So a lot of it ends up being kind of a, a treatments. And, and I guess, um, I, I guess you could, uh, circle back to this is why I love television so much is because you can listen to things differently and you can use pictures and voices and music and stills and all of these uh, different storytelling devices to kind of put together a package. And so when you're looking at sort of like the, the, the political threads can sometimes be a little bit dry, but those are usually pieces that are best told by a reporter in the field because they understand the politics they understand the nuances of what they're saying they can tell you whether something that's just been promised is a new promise or something that they've said before or that they're expanding on like they can help you um sort of take the political speak and cut through the noise and really understand what's important and i think that that is sort of the benefit of a reporter for some of the other voices, like you don't want to hear a journalist sometimes on on those sorts of things because we're we're always a step removed, 
So it's when it comes to really important voices, like some of the people who are fleeing or some of the soldiers, why do you want to hear me tell you what they said? I just want to hear from them. So those are where interviews become really important. Or if you have those voices on tape, I'm a really big fan of this thing. I like to call it a clipscape, which is you try to create like the landscape of the story, but use it with clips from the people on the ground. So it's, it's almost like, um, sometimes I compare it to the, to the people I'm trying to explain it to in the newsroom. It's like, if you could do a like previously on CBC news network, um, and it's a, a 45 second pack of maybe like an official saying it's starting to get dire in this place. And then you have a soldier being like, we've never seen things like this before. And then you've got like still images that are layered on top showing some of the, the conditions that people are fighting in. And then you have somebody talking about like the latest shelling event there. And then you see some of the damage that it's caused. And it's like a 45 second clip pack that doesn't have a reporter or a journalist attached to it. It's just the voices of the people who are affected, but it lets you really get at the heart of what's happening on the ground and understanding the gravity of what's happening on the ground in a really sort of impactful but also synthesized way. It's like a, a sights and sounds, like a sampling of the ground. Um, and I, I find those are really effective storytelling devices. And I think that they're some of the more effective storytelling devices because I'm not the one telling you the story. I'm letting the people tell the story to you. Right. And I think you hit the nail on the head there in a lot of ways. I mean, the thing that resonates for me in what you just said is kind of the authenticity of someone telling their own story versus it being told by a third party and the power that that brings. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need, um, especially when it's complicated, you need somebody to sort of help you navigate the landscape. And that's that's why it's so important to have people on the ground and, and journalists and reporters on the ground because they can really do that. They can take you to multiple places. But if you really want to get at, you know, um, just like a, a sense of life, like a little slice of life of what it's like in a, at a time and a place, I always find it is most effective to just let somebody else, like let them tell their own story. They don't need to go through me, um, like as a as a reporter, as a journalist, as a, as a storyteller, as a producer, like I can help sort of you as a viewer navigate through. But there are there are moments when the authentic voice is the only voice, and you don't need to hear from me or the anchor or the reporter. Mm. And I, I think it's really important to keep those voices in as much as possible and let people tell their own stories. Yeah. I completely agree. And maybe if I can just kind of um, switch gears a little bit here, and, and I think it still is related, certainly, but in your opinion, is the act of listening changing in society as people are getting their news in all different ways across different platforms? So do you think, for example, that these kind of filter bubbles that are created by algorithms on social media and the polarization on one side or the other, we're kind of losing the gray in the middle, does that condition us to be worse listeners to the other side of the story? I think it definitely can be. I think um, 
people might not agree with this sentiment, but I think most journalists would say that they try they they try their best to remain neutral and to represent as many sides as you can. There's there's you know a different between a difference between letting someone share their opinion and their voice and their story and and sometimes um, like things have gotten really polar. I would say like there's there's big polar opposites. There's not a lot of people who are willing to meet in the middle right now, especially around certain kinds of politics, especially around COVID and, and sort of lockdowns and restrictions and stuff around that. And there is a lot of evidence. Um, it, it's funny that we're talking about this today because there's actually new polling data that came out today that really sort of looks at the idea that a lot of Canadians think we do have a lot more trouble listening to each other oh. and we have a lot less compassion for one another and that the the pandemic has actually brought out the worst of us mm. and that is a little bit scary to listen to but um i do think you're right the the being able to curate your own news and i i will you know there's lots of different avenues of information and um it, it's it is tough to compete with because there are a lot of publications that are very motivated in the way that they will write a story or they will write a headline. They definitely have, you know, um, a take if if that is not necessarily a bad one, but if it's something that you agree with and you automatically identify with with the sentiment behind that headline, you're way more likely to click on it than if it seems to be sort of a neutral and in your own opinion, you feel like it's not getting at the heart of the matter. So it is difficult sometimes to have a meeting of a mind because you don't necessarily have to read the other side and you don't actually have to hear the opinions of the other side because you can always actively choose to click on stories, headlines, voices that agree with your own. And uh, it is hard to argue fact against opinion because I can argue with you until you're like, I'm blue in the face. But if that is your opinion and you're not looking for, you know, a way to see my side of things, then it doesn't matter what I say. I'm never going to convince you to see the other side or to meet in the middle. Um, and I find that that is a, like a tough place that we do seem to be in is that there's more and more people who will only see things one way and who only want you to think of or agree with one side. And there's a lot less meeting in the middle. How do we solve the world's problems through listening? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, just an easy question. Just an that easy question. <laughs> like if they're like, how do we, how do we get this more balanced approach? I don't know. I, this this that perhaps is rhetorical. Uh, doesn't need an answer, but I think it's worth asking. And I mean, I, I I don't think I'm the first one to ask that. I think there's a lot of kind of um, tech companies who are being challenged by mm -hmm. this notion of like how how do you, uh, from an ethical standpoint, provide a more balanced approach to the world or to to your users and how do we make sure that we're not creating these tight filter bubbles that that do create these polarizations I don't know I'm blathering here but yeah it's it's a challenge I, I don't think you're blathering I think you're you're getting at interesting points because there there was definitely a 
a change in these kinds of conversations. Um, you know, there was, uh, we've created through certain global events, like a lot more space for things that I think some people would interpret as hateful speech. And it's tough to sit down and listen to somebody who is going to tell you that your way of life or, or a lifestyle that you believe should be a choice for whomever decides to live that way. If somebody is going to tell you that it's wrong and for whatever reason, like those are, there's a lot of things right now that are difficult to listen to the other side because you, it goes against fundamental beliefs. Um, and like, honestly, it's like, even the, the example of this convoy that was going through about COVID restrictions, it, it's, you know, you're four weeks into that and they've locked down in an entire city and you're just frustrated with their method of communication. It's, it's tough to say you need to sit down and understand their side of things and you need to hear why they want to do this. There's, especially when it's attached to something like COVID, which we've all been suffering through for two years, it's really hard to be like, just be patient for a little longer and understand where they're coming from. Because everybody is sort of having that same moment of a like, well, I have to do it. Why can't you? And why can't you just like get with the program? So it's, I think people do need to sometimes take a step back. I think we tend to, um, I think we, we tend to sort of paint the other side, whatever the other side might be with the same brush. And you really need to understand that, you know, people, whether it's like political beliefs, religious beliefs, like societal beliefs, like there's different layers to it, right? Like somebody may not be the polar opposite. They may just sort of like have a toe over the line. And that's somebody you can have a conversation with and a debate with and sort of try to understand where they're coming from. But if you approach everyone who maybe believes something different than you do as somebody who has an extreme view, it's impossible to meet in the middle, especially if they're doing the same thing with you. Mm. And so maybe we need to find those champions of our communities who who are willing to kind of dabble on either side of they're, they're willing to kind of sit on the fence a little bit so that they can bridge the gap between the neighbor in this yard and the neighbor in this yard and help connect those two i don't know i'm solving world peace no big deal yeah <laughs> yeah yeah maybe it's the moderators maybe it's you know just finding one TED talk that you could listen to that maybe explores a different avenue or, you know, a, a monk debate that looks at different sides. Like there's, there's ways to sort of open the door to a conversation without actually kind of stepping through. And I think that if more people just listened, you know, and, and you took a moment to just hear people out and why they thought certain things and, and what it was that brought them to that decision. It's, it's funny because, so to use an example from a news perspective, during the, the Trump debate or the, the Trump election, you know, there's a lot of people who just sort of painted Trump supporters as all the same kind of person, right? And they were like sort of radical right-wing people, but there were a lot of people who didn't actually 
go that far. You know, some people voted him in because they just wanted something different and they didn't want a career politician and they wanted somebody from the outside who could maybe shake things up a little bit. That's maybe not necessarily what they ended up getting, but that's not a radical Republican belief that you know, they're aligning themselves with, they just didn't like the other options. Mm. But there were also people who maybe liked points of the Trump platform, but not the entire, you know, belief system, but they would have voted him because they liked the way that he talked about money, or they liked the way that he, he talked about, you know, sort of strengthening the United States, they liked that sort of nationalistic idea. And so once you actually started talking to people who are in lineups, who are voting about why they voted certain ways or why they believed certain things, you could actually see some of the rational pieces to their argument and understand their perspective a little bit better. And I found that was a very helpful part of like don't get me wrong like there were some people who you would just be like I can't put this on the air because they're saying things that are fake like, news fake news yeah well they would argue that I am fake news so <laughs> yes but yes like it, it's conspiracy theories that you would have to spend two minutes unraveling or it was it was sort of hateful speech that you, you know like you just didn't want to put that on there but there were people who had very reasonable points for why they voted the way that they voted. But in terms of the, the sort of polar separation, I was listening to another podcast, but they were, (laughs) but they were talking about how, um, again, just that divide and that, you know, it has to be my way on all things. And it can't be like, there can be no points of contention. There were, Um, a bunch of people who identified as Democrats in everything that they believed in with the exception of the topic of abortion. And so they were saying that they were pro-life Democrats and essentially they were kicked out of the party because people were saying, there's no room for that. You are asking us to make a different decision. So you're not a Democrat, you are a Republican. But every other sort of pillar of belief structure lined up with being a Democrat, it was just this one thing, but that was enough for them to be ostracized from the party. And so I find that more and more that seems to be people's approach. It's like, well, if you can't see my side of things, then we'll never meet on anything, which is a tough place for all of us to be in. Totally. And I think what you said there, that last piece that you said really resonates. I mean, that idea that you can be lumped in one bucket or another bucket. Like there's no room for this creative non-binary, this gray area that exists in the middle, this melding of buckets or the removal of buckets so that this can happen, that there can be these kind of in-between places that we exist. Because life is messy and complicated and generally not conducive to buckets. (laughs) one or the other right exactly and that's again I think as you say like the way to well I would like to think that is part of my job as again a news producer is to bring those different perspectives into a safe space Mm. and whether or not you want to hear it or whether or not you like to hear it the fact that 
different viewpoints are represented all within the same story mm. gives you an opportunity to hear the other side. What you decide to do with that information and whether you choose to listen to that is sort of on you and on your own, you know, motivations and, and sort of the way that you absorb that content. But that is what I think part of my job is too, is to, to lay all the information, all the points of views, all the perspectives out there for people to take what they will from that. And hopefully it's a well-informed opinion about whatever that topic or that story or that, you know, even if it's a talker, you know, it's like Ed Sheeran was out, even though he was <laughs> COVID-19 positive, it's just like, oh, okay, maybe I want to know more about Ed Sheeran and his belief structure, <laughs> whatever that may be. Right. There's so many pieces to this. There's like, it's like an onion. We're just pulling back the layers, pulling back the layers. And I want to throw something else into the mix. I know that we're almost out of time, but I maybe, as you were talking, I was scribbling down a few notes here, but maybe people aren't open to listening for fear of being proven wrong and what mm. that would mean to their own identity. And then that bigger fear of failure or loss of control and losing their own narrative in that messiness that is the non-binary of life, this gray area that we live in. Right. Which, and I, again, like it's kind of, um, that's interesting because it actually made me think immediately that sometimes that's the way a story is told. Mm. And so when we set out as a journalist or a reporter or as a producer, whatever level that you're sort of on, you may have an idea of what you think the story is. And this happens a lot once you start to get out there and you start to, you know, take pictures and you talk to people and you talk to different communities. It may be three hours later and you realize you have completely the wrong thread here and this needs to be the story and you have to do a total readjust. And I think that people shouldn't be afraid of that. I think that's actually what helps us learn and grow and become better listeners, but also better members of our communities is being able to listen and to adjust and to recognize when maybe we've done something wrong or we're saying something that's wrong. I think um, like topics around language and phrases and slang that we have been using that shouldn't be part of common vernacular, like those are really interesting conversations that I think are sort of a snapshot of what you're talking about is these moments where we realize that maybe we've been doing something that is that has been unintentionally hurtful to somebody else and now i need to adjust my behavior and maybe some of the language that i use so that i am respectful of a different community that's all part of listening and learning and adjusting and reframing and i think that that should be a part of everyone's journey as they get older I have a new suggestion to solve world peace through listening yeah. is that we introduce into the curriculum a journalism course. I think we all need to be trained as journalists because like you say, it's a matter of learning as we go. And then when something doesn't, it's, it's, we're not following the right thread, we can adjust without a hit to our ego or our identity or our kind of fear of, of that loss of control of, of our own narrative. I, well, 
Obviously, I would love that. (laughs) Yeah, sure. I'll I'll teach everyone that would like to learn. But I I do actually think that um, media literacy is important Mm -hmm. because even as somebody who works in the industry, I think it's important to understand the motivations behind the, the storyteller because everyone has one. And, you know, sort of circling back to what I said earlier about you know, as a journalist, we always try to be as non-biased or sort of neutral as possible, as neutral as possible. But sometimes that's hard. Everybody has their own personal experiences. Everybody has their own belief structure. And sometimes that bleeds into whatever story that you're telling. So kind of understanding the motivation behind the people who are telling the story, you know, I, I, I took a, a, media course, I guess, in high school. And and one thing that they did was they sort of put down the front pages of a bunch of major newspapers. And you looked at the way that they headlined the main story and what that told you about the people behind the newspaper and sort of the way that they might be telling that story and what they want you to take out of that story. Mm -hmm. And that's why I also do think that it's important that you're reading lots of things and you're reading lots of opinions and that you sort of you can, of course, have something that maybe aligns with your own belief structure as your core material, like something that you come to every day. But, you know, in terms of listening and understanding and sort of seeing the big picture, I think casting a wide net is always better than sort of focusing in on on one particular storytelling piece. So smart and so true. And kudos to your your media uh, teacher, because I think that's such a cool way to approach that important topic of, of media literacy. So I have one final question for you. Well, it's like two parts, kind of. Okay. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> all the questions. So do you think ultimately there there is a link between this concept of listening and all that encompasses and creativity and in your opinion how does one affect or influence the other and vice versa so kind of tying together everything that we've talked about is there a link between listening and creativity in your opinion yes i think there is i think um i think lots of different creative mediums take a level of creativity like there's the fun thing about, you know, creating a podcast, creating a TV program, creating some sort of audio visual creative beast is finding those pieces or those clips or those moments that are going to speak to people the most. And that takes a certain kind of listening. But if you're going to, um, you know, create a musical piece or a dance or a something. It's a different kind of storytelling device. You need to match movement with music and that takes a different kind of listening. And the thing is, again, to kind of circle back, is it it takes failing a little bit at being creative to figure out how to be creative in your own unique way. And that's part of the journey as well. And that's listening to yourself. That's listening to what you're trying to do. That's understanding your own motivation and how 
it's being received. So that's listening to the person that you're creating for and trying to find your own unique voice as a creator so that you can speak to people and have people hear you the way that you are trying to be heard. And I think all of that's very important. I love having smart friends. <laughs> I hope it sounded smart. I, again, I've come off a, a morning shift that started at three o'clock in the morning. So maybe oh. this was very long and rambly. <laughs> oh, Katie, I can't thank you enough for taking the time after your very long day. All of us are probably just kind of starting our days and you are very much at the tail end of your work day. And so I, I can't thank you enough for chatting with me today all about this, this cool topic. And I think we covered a lot and I so value your opinion and your professional expertise as it relates to this area. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening. Friends are the best, aren't they? Here's today's invitation to practice your listening skills, and in this case, also connect with an old friend. Call a friend who you haven't talked to in a while and ask this. What are your top three highlights since we last talked? Listen way more than you talk. Ask follow-up questions. Keep the conversation focused on them. This is one of my favorite conversation starters if I haven't talked to someone in a while. It helps me get a good understanding of the positive or exciting things happening in their life right now. And it usually helps us pick back right up from where we left off, however long it's been. While I know that life isn't all rainbows and sunshine, I think by starting a conversation on this note, it brings a great energy. You can get into the heavier stuff later in the conversation if it makes sense to. So what are you waiting for? Go call a friend. Use your texting machine like it's the year 1999.